0: Well, amen. Good evening. It is wonderful to be back with you tonight and to study God's Word together. And thank you for praying for uh, me today, as well as for our college. It is a, a great time at the Baptist College of Florida, and this next year promises to be an incredible. Our 81st year. And our 71st year in Graceville, Florida, which, as I told you this morning, is not that far from here. It's just an hour to get there from here, but three hours to get back. And uh, so we're looking forward to an incredible year as we train the next generation of Christian leaders. You can take our courses in dual enrollment, dual credit, as well as online or in person or at our other campuses in Miami this year and then next year in Clearwater Florida as well. So uh, lots of different degree programs, education, business as well as ministry and music and worship and psychology and social work. So it's an exciting time to be at the college and I want you to open your Bibles tonight to the book of Colossians chapter 2 and uh, just put a finger there and turn over to John chapter 4 because we're going to be there Uh, as well tonight. and Really that's going to be our text that we focus a lot of our attention on in John chapter 4 as well. I've never known a day when so many people were overloaded and there is so much hopelessness. You may be aware that we're in a incredible social crisis of suicide. It is now the largest killer of the young people in our nation taking their own life. It's the number one Way in which a violent death occurs to anybody 40 and under now is through taking their life. There is virtually not a week that goes by that I do not hear of someone who has taken their life. And uh, it's incredibly tragic. People are just overloaded. There's so much of that. Uh, We were driving through town, saw the PetSmart here in town. It reminded me about the PetSmart truck. Uh, the the guy was on his way to PetSmart and he'd stop every red light and get out and take a two by four and beat against the side of the truck. And so uh, next red light he'd do the same thing. Next red light he did the same thing. Finally the the guy followed him into the parking lot of the store, and he said, what are you doing? He said, I've, I've got a one-ton truck, and I'm carrying two tons of canaries, and I, I've got to keep half of them in the air, and so I, I'm sure that a lot of us feel like we're in a one-ton truck carrying two tons, of, or maybe you've got 10 pounds of potatoes and only a five-pound bag you're carrying them in. A lot of folks feel overloaded. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, the scripture says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. You are complete in him. You know, sin leaves you alone. Sin leaves you separated from God. It leaves you vulnerable in shame and empty. And so I want to preach to you tonight on the subject of Jesus, the satisfier of our soul. He's the one who completes the soul. Friend, you are more than just flesh and blood. The secularist can teach you that you're nothing more than matter, but you matter more than matter. You have a soul. There is a non-physical part of you. And Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? And I want to talk to you a little bit about your soul tonight. About that non-physical part of you. That part that relates to God. Now I want you to notice in this text that the the Bible speaks of a a need we have for completion. Look over in John chapter 4 and I want us to read just a few verses here in verse 7. The Bible says that a woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is who says to you, give me a drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks Of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You see, the first thing I want you to notice is that without Jesus Christ, the soul longs for satisfaction. There is a deep longing in The soul without Christ. Paul would call it, we need completion. We need to be fulfilled. We need to be completed. And here Jesus speaks to a Samaritan woman about the longing in her soul. Never underestimate the appetite of the soul. The just pure longing of the soul. You see, religions try to address this appetite illegitimately. Hinduism and Buddhism teaches you to suppress any desire or this appetite you may have and approach desire with enlightenment. Follow the eightfold path and hopefully you'll separate yourself so much from desire that then you will be uh, absorbed into this state and into this place. Islam and monotheism tend to approach it with religious work. To be ceremonially clean, to be clean on the outside. That's why when you go to a mosque, you will find washing stations on the outside. And frankly, for those who practice a shame religion, to be unclean ceremonially is far worse than committing immorality. Because there is a thought that all of us are immoral, but we can all go and be ceremonially clean. We can do something about it. But the soul cannot be clean from the outside, it cannot be fulfilled from the outside. And our culture is obsessed with trying to find completion and fulfillment. We call it happiness largely in our society there's been a lot of research done about the change from generation to generation and there's been a huge shift among generations those who are 30 and below now list as their second most important thing in life to them is being happy it's finding happiness but yet can we find happiness in this world in 1986, Carol Burnett, the famous star, wrote in her autobiography that the reason she took up acting and enjoyed it is because, and I quote, "I like myself better when I'm not me." Some college students a few years ago entered a contest and were asked to write a definition of life for the college newspaper. Here are some of the entries that won honorable mention. Life is a joke that isn't even funny. Life is a jail sentence that we get for the crime of being born. Life is a disease for which the only cure is death. You see, there is an emptiness that is profound among the people around us a need for wholeness and completion. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in His time, and He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. God has put eternity in people's hearts. The Bible word for this perfect, harmonious existence is the word shalom completion you see we tend to talk about peace as being the absence of problems but peace in the scripture has to do with a wholeness it has to do with the completion it has to do with this living water inside of you you see without Jesus Christ the soul longs for satisfaction when Jesus spoke to this Samaritan woman he did not first speak to her about her sin. Sin was just a symptom. He spoke to her about how thirsty she was, about how empty she was on the inside. You see, because secondly, without Jesus Christ, the soul leans on empty substitutes. The soul begins to look for something to complete it. And in our story of Jesus encountering this woman of Samaria, we find out that she was leaning on men to fulfill the void in her life. The empty substitute she hoped would make her complete was the attention of, the man, of a man, the sexual intimacy with a man. And she had already had five men and she was sleeping with a sixth now. She was leaning on this empty substitute. And it was not fulfilling her need. It was not going to make her complete. You see, a soul without Christ is very needy. That's your blank. Needy. The needy soul will begin to self-destruct. Jesus said, well, the psalmist said, delight yourself in the Lord. Finish it with me, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, I've heard that misexplained and mistalked. I actually heard a preacher one time sharing that he had walked down a street in his city, and the houses on that street were multi-million dollar homes. And he picked out the house that he wanted on that street, and it was... Like I say, multi-millions of dollars. He was a poor preacher. And he, he, said, he quoted that verse and said, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord and I'm going to live in that house. And it wasn't too many years later where he was able to buy that house and he used that as an instruction for that text. That is a total misinterpretation of that text. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of of your heart. Doesn't mean that you have a desire for something and all you've got to do is delight in God and it will be the means by which you get that which you desire. No, it means when you delight yourself in the Lord, he generates the desires that are in your heart. He begins to take take over the desire level of your life. Now most of us, we focus way too much on the do level. Of our life our behavior we just think about our behavior way too much Jesus looks at the heart in fact in Matthew 15 a group of Pharisees had come from Jerusalem to Galilee to find Jesus now that you may pass over that that means they walked about 60 to 75 miles Now, if I walked 60 to 75 miles to ask Jesus a question, it would not be the question they asked. You know what they asked him? They asked him, why do you wash your hands different than the tradition of the elders? I promise you, I would not ask him about how he's using his hand sanitizer. You know, I just wouldn't do it. But you see, they were so obsessed with being ceremonially clean with the externals of ritual and ceremony and dealing with the outside, here's what Jesus said to them to clarify this truth. And he also said it to the whole group. In fact, he said it so loud that his disciples said, Lord, you've offended these guys. In Matthew 15 and verse 18, he said, Those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. (gasps) What? You mean all this ceremonially clean stuff that we're having to do? You mean all the rituals and the mikvahs and, and all the things that our rabbis are teaching us you don't think that's real important what you is real important is what's in the heart that's exactly why we don't have these set of ceremonies that you have to follow to come in church not this set of attire that you have because frankly Jesus wasn't very concerned about all this stuff on the outside he was concerned about the heart because it's out of the heart that you live what was wrong with the Samaritan woman she was thirsty she was crippled with thirst she was looking for something what's going on in our society it's not that they need new laws they need the Lord in their life now laws wouldn't hurt but it's not going to fix it because you're not going to fix them from the outside in and that's not to be our focus Our focus is the inside out. People are so needy. And they're self-destructing. You see, we're being told today, and we're drinking the Kool-Aid, that we ought to look inside of ourselves, see what we want, see how to be true to ourselves. Well, the Bible says the heart is deceitful and incurably wicked. Who can know it, friend? You look inside yourself, you're going to find distortion, perversion. You're going to find depravity and sin. You're born in it, and you're enslaved to it. No, you don't need to look inside. You need to look up to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're needy, you're going to try to get your need met. And so this lady is looking to get her need met, and Jesus is not talking about her sin yet. She's talking about how, He's talking about how thirsty... Listen, don't just see a person's behavior. Don't just see the what that they're doing. Ask the question of the why. Why are they doing it? Jesus wasn't concerned about fixing her behavior because he knew if he fixed her heart, her behavior would get in line. (laughs) Because he wants us to live from the inside out. He's the satisfier of the soul. You see, sin is deeper than simply behavior. Sin is more than just behavior. Christ didn't come to just change the fruit of your life. He came to change the root. He didn't come to fix the outside, but to change the inside. And sin in its essence is preferring self over God. Sin is a moral failure and it leads to spiritual isolation. Sin separates you from God. It defiles you. Now, the word defile that Jesus used here, it's a fascinating word. He said it's not what goes in a man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his heart that defiles him. It's not how you wash your hands or how you dress or all these external things that's defiling you. It's the desires of your heart. That's the difference in living out of the desire level instead of the do level. Jesus says to us that those things that come out of our heart, they defile us. The word defile means to make common. It means to make common. You see, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God. It is sacred. Your body is special. What, know you not? Your body is the temple of God. The Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you. It is sacred and special. It belongs to the Lord. And when you share it with others outside of wedlock, then you make it common. You defile it. That's what sin will do. And this lady had defiled herself and Jesus trying to help her understand that if she would ever drink of the water that he provided, she'd never thirst again. In John chapter one, the Bible says in him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness but the darkness did not comprehend it. Any identity apart from God is going to be inherently unstable. There's no way to avoid insecurity outside of God. There's no way to avoid a sense of shame outside of God. You're not going to be fulfilled through fame, through wealth. You're not going to be fulfilled by being beautiful or the size you want to be. You're not going to be fulfilled by, by being excellent at something or even a trade or a skill. It's not going to happen. In fact, you're going to find, I, I read a, parts of a memoir by Darcy Steinke, she wrote Easter Everywhere, a memoir and she talks about how she was the daughter of a Lutheran minister and she left the faith left the Christian faith she moved to the city in New York, she entered a life of club hopping and sexual obsession and she wrote several novels and became quite famous and successful but she was so empty and she began to discover that one has only the choice between God and idolatry. And she quotes Simone Weil, who said, If one denies God, one is worshiping something of this world in the belief that one sees them only as such. But in fact, though unknown to oneself, imagining the attributes of divinity in them. In The Village Voice, Cynthia Heimel speaks about the same thing. She says that she's had the privilege in New York City of getting to know some very famous people. And she said that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their life bearable, that was going to fill them with the ha-ha happiness had happened. And the next day they woke up and they were still them. And the disillusioned turned them howling and insufferable. You see, without Jesus Christ, we begin to lean on substitutes. We begin to think, man, making money, the deal, that's going to fulfill me. We begin to think all these other things, whether it's health or wealth, that's what's going to make me happy. C.S. Lewis said, and it's, it's in your outline there, the almost impossibly hard thing to hand over is your whole self to Christ. But it's far easier than what we're all trying to do instead. For what we're trying to do is remain what we call ourselves, our personal happiness centered on money or pleasure or ambition and hoping despite this to behave honestly and chastely and humbly. And that is exactly what Christ warned us you cannot do. If I am a grass field, all the cutting will keep the grass less, but it won't produce wheat. If I want wheat, I've got to be plowed up and re sown In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. You see, with Jesus Christ, the soul finds satisfaction. Christ will make you whole. Christ will give you peace the longing in your life is for God. You were made in His image. That image has been marred. You are separated to Him by your sin. That sin has made you common. It has left you empty and you will not find fulfillment by just running toward it, friend. You need to turn from it and turn to Jesus Christ. And when you are connected to God, you will find You'll never thirst again. Now, this Samaritan woman, she was in a cult like religion. They had their own Bible, it was a perverted form of Judaism. She was confused about worship, she had been looking for. Some sort of fulfillment. And she asked Jesus, how is it you being a Jew would speak to me, a Samaritan? And Jesus stayed focused on her soul. Now in this day, there is so much division. There is so much discourse about moral law. Let's stay focused on the souls of the people we're talking to. Yeah, I'd like to get some laws passed. I would. I was the pastoral leader of the marriage amendment campaign in the state of Florida. I know a little something about this. Let me tell you, there is a hunger and an emptiness in our communities that we dare not overlook as we seek to lead them to faith in Christ And all of these efforts to connect with people, make sure we connect them to God. In Colossians 2.9 it says that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. This verse, and if we can leave it on the screen just a minute, this verse is kind of hard to translate and I'll show you why. When it talks about in him dwells all the fullness of God. So in Christ was all the fullness of God. Jesus was not half God. Jesus was 100% God. All the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. And you are complete in him. The word translated complete here is the same root word translated fullness. In the first part of the verse, it is a very unusual grammatical construction. And so the translators really struggle to try to use the word fullness here. It's like in him dwells all the fullness of God. And now you've become a partaker of that fullness because Christ lives inside of you now. As Peter would say in 2 Peter 1 in verse 3, His divine power has given us all things to pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and virtue. Listen, God has, is living inside of you by His Spirit. He has completed you. He has fulfilled you now. The fullness of God is inside of you. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is found in Jesus Christ And you will never go wrong finding your life in Jesus Christ. He is the source of life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You want fulfillment. You want completion. You want satisfaction in the soul. You want something that will last for eternity that will not wear out or wax or wane. You will find it in Jesus Christ. For in him you're delivered from the power of darkness. And conveyed in the kingdom of the son of his love. Satan has no power over you. You have peace with God now. You have peace with others. You are pure. You are declared righteous in Jesus Christ. And you have life that will never end. Shalom. Ah. Peace. Wouldn't you like to have peace? You're not going to get peace by just running after a ritual. Some of you are looking for peace and you're, you think, man, if I can just serve more at church. Hey, that's not a bad thing. But you won't find peace from your ministry. You'll find peace in your intimacy with Jesus Christ. That's where peace is found. And you give and you serve out of the flow of peace. Now, Linda and I, last year around Christmas, we went to St. Augustine. Y'all ever been to St. Augustine around Christmas time? They've got lights. I mean, tons of lights, and lights, and lights, and more lights. And so uh, we went over there, and we took a boat tour to see the lights, you know, at night from the water. And it was amazing. <coughs> wasn't long after we started on tour. It was still dusk. You you could still see real well. The sun hadn't set. We were going through the harbor, and there was a boat that had been shipwrecked against the bridge. And it looked like a very new boat, though it was now a wrecked boat. And I asked our pilot, had the opportunity to talk to him, and I asked our pilot, what's the deal with this boat over here? And he chuckled. He said, This happens kind of often. I said, Really? I said, well, What's the story? He said, Well, you know, one of these guys and gals up north, they sell out and come south. Buy them a boat. Going to live on the boat. And I mean, that's a nice one there. They bought it and started living on it. And when the first big storm rolled in, they decided they would anchor it themselves. They don't have a clue what they're doing. They anchored that boat. And the storm loosened it from the anchor. And he fought it and fought it and fought it while in that storm. And eventually the storm just drove it right into the bridge. Wrapped it around one of the columns. He lost everything. It's tragedy. Now, they had lots of boats in that harbor that were attached to the moorings. You know, there's a difference between moorings and anchoring. Moorings are attachments and places that have been drilled into the bedrock under the seawall to where when you attach your boat to that, you're not going anywhere. Oh yeah, the storm may move you a little bit on that mooring, but you're you're safe, you're secure right there because it's attached into the bedrock. But when you anchor You better really know what you're doing. And in a storm, you can't just anchor the boat. Not in that level of storm. It reminded me very much of what Jesus said. How that when we listen to his sayings and we follow his sayings, we'll be likened to the man who builds his house on the rock. And when the storm comes, that house will stand. You see, you build your life for the storm, not for the sunshine. You build your financial house for the storm and not the sunshine. Oh, it's easy to build on sand. You can build big and you can build fast on sand. You can have your feet up down there real quick while you're listening to your neighbor up there pounding against the rock. And you say, what's his problem? He's up there pounding against that rock. Why don't he come down here with the rest of us and build on the sand? Well, he's building on the rock. He thinks he's better than us, I guess. Doesn't want to hang out with us. He's up there pounding against that rock. We've been down here for years. It's good down here on the sand. Come on down here. Enjoy it on the sand. Look at the size of my port. You finally get that little house built on the rock because it took you a year to get anything attached to that rock. It takes longer to build on the rock than it does to sail. It takes longer, costs more money to anchor that boat through the moorings than it does to anchor it yourself. But you know what happens the morning after the storm? Can we stay with you? What happened to your big house you built down there on the sand? It's gone. Can we stay with you? And so what I got out of that night going around St. Augustine was not the lights. I thought about the man and his boat. And I thought, how many of us, how many of you are building your life on the sand? And you think it's going to last when it's not. Come to Christ. Build your life on Jesus Christ. And then you'll find peace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that with Christ, the soul finds completion and satisfaction. May we not be building our house on sand. May it be on the rock. And Lord, I pray for that soul that's listening to my voice tonight. That's longing and empty and hungry. And wondering if there's any way they'll ever be at peace. Lord, I pray tonight they'd come to Jesus Christ and believe. Turn from their sin. Don't turn to your sin, friend. Turn from your sin. Turn to Christ. And tonight, Lord, I pray they'd be saved. Pray for that saint who's wandering. That saint who's living without peace tonight. I pray they'd come home and find their completion, their peace in the Prince of Peace, in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the privilege we've had to study your word. And we pray now you'd settle and seal it in our lives as we go in peace this week into a city, into a community that's so longing for satisfaction, for completion. And I pray we'd give them the only hope there is to give them you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.